80s. Um, but anyway, it's just a joy to be here. Um, looking forward um, to getting into uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, just always good to uh, be reminded of God's love for us, how it is that He is faithful, and also what He expects from us. Um, you know, there are some standards that He has set forth in, in His Word, and so we ought to be aware of those things and then learn how to apply them to our lives to His glory. You know, this morning, as we continue our study through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, um, we're going to uh, basically have a lesson in pleasing God. Uh, If you will, it's how to please God 101. And some very basic things um, and something that we need to, I know, take to heart as we um, seek to, to know the Lord a little bit better and how it is that we can glorify Him and honor Him with our lives. And so uh, the, the title of this morning's message is How to Please God. How to Please God, and that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's begin by reading in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you. Beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. Asking, Father, that you would, uh, Lord, as has already been prayed and has been even, um, Lord, uh, been the desire, hopefully, of our hearts that we would. Not be distracted by anything, Lord, that we would be attentive to your word. Uh, By your spirit, you would give us understanding. Give us understanding of that which glorifies you, pleases you. Lord, that we may, in that understanding, exercise this truth by faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please you. And so, Lord, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. Speak to us, I pray. And, Lord, give us understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, just taking us from from chapter 1, as we have been studying through um, this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, in chapter 1, we took a look at the impact that a genuine faith would have um, on those around us and um, especially those closest to us, but also... Uh, an example to those who uh, are, are witnesses of our lives. We also learned how it is that we ought to have a tenacity in our faith uh, to proclaim and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go, that our lives should reflect that and our words should communicate that to those around us. We also learned how it is that it's important to increase and abound in our love we saw how it was that um, this, uh, th- there was this beautiful love that the Apostle Paul had for the Thessalonians. 
and uh, how it is that the Thessalonians not only had a love for Paul, but for the brethren. And it was an example for us to live our lives uh, in that manner, to the glory of God. How it is that we are to live our lives as a response to the forgiveness we've received through Jesus Christ, uh, that eternal life that he's given to us. John 4, 19, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And so, as I'm constantly reminded that, the only way in which I know how to love others is by looking at how it is that God has loved us and loves us even today. And it should be reflected in how we live our lives. It is precisely because God first loved us and because we have a tendency to be self-centered that it is very important and necessary that we learn the basics of how to please God. Because we have this natural inclination, don't we? To be all about ourselves. We could say one moment, Oh Lord, I'm completely devoted and set aside for you and your glory and I want to love as you do. And then we find ourselves, the next moment, being selfish and self-centered. So we have this natural inclination to do that. Why? Because, um, you know, we battle against the flesh and we battle against the world and the things of the world. And so we ought to learn the basics, the, the, the foundational elements of how it is that we can be pleasing to God. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it is our faith, our understanding of the word of God that needs to increase and deepen, and it comes through the hearing of the word of God. And so we're here. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word that we started this section with is the word finally. Finally is, uh, you know, as you learn, sometimes pastors will use in conclusion or finally, but we don't really mean it. Um, Because we'll say it perhaps several times, right? Finally, in conclusion. To close, um, hopefully I don't do it too often, but... Sometimes we have something a little, a little bit more. But he's not using this as, this is done now to conclude, because it would be chapter 4 and the rest of 5 that he's concluding with. Uh, but this, this is more of a transition. He's transitioning from that which uh, he's been writing to them about up to that point, and now it's, it's, a, it's a transition into um, the final portion of the letter, but not necessarily the conclusion. He's going into this section of how it is that that which we have learned up to this point is to reflect in our lives practically. The practical application of what we've come to know. And that is to glorify the Lord by the exercising of our faith. You will see that living a sanctified life, that is uh, a life that is sanctified unto the Lord is, is simply this. It is a life that is set apart from the world and set apart to God. So there's two, there's two sides to it. A sanctified life set apart from the world and to God. And you, you have to know what that means, what that looks like, right? In order to achieve it in our own lives. What we're going to see here 
is that as we learn what that looks like, that, that it goes into leading a life that is quiet. A, a quiet life is more of a result of who we are in Christ than something we strive for in the flesh. You know, we, we uh, oftentimes exercise, you know, uh, this, this flesh. We employ it to achieve things that cannot be achieved by the flesh, but only by the Spirit and by God's grace and by the exercising of our faith, simply leaning and clinging to the promises of God. That's where we get in trouble when we try and do things in our own strength. You know, I often say and need to be reminded of myself that Christianity is an exercise of surrender. Surrender. Sometimes we're striving for something and all we have to do is just give up and give in. That's it. But how do I get there? Give up. Give in. Surrender. Relax. Relax. Because God's promises are yes and amen. God's promises are good. And we can rest in Him. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By spirit. When we live lives set apart for the glory of God and lives that are content in Christ, we exemplify a godly maturity in the peace that God supplies in Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For This is a good reminder, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Oh, what things have up to this point, this week, have we been concerned, worried, anxious about that are beyond clothing and food. I'm sure many. I'm sure many. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Does your living demonstrate a life satisfied in God? Set apart from the world and quiet? Set apart for God and increasing in the understanding of the things that are pleasing to God? And this is what we have before us this morning, a word of encouragement and even a command from God, if you will, surrender to the governance of the Lord in your life. It is a command from God that this is the will of God, that we ought to be ever maturing in our understanding and application of how to please God and live a quiet life apart from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? Apart from the world. Three things we're going to see this morning. Number one, don't stop growing in Christ. This is, this is how to please God 101. How to please God, the basics. Don't stop growing in Christ. Don't stop. Number two, control your body. We'll learn what that means. And number three, lead a quiet life. Let's begin with don't stop growing in Christ. Verse 1 once more says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul also writes to the Philippians in Philippians three twelve through 14, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I love this about the Apostle Paul. How it is that he's, you know that the Apostle Paul is confident in the Lord and yet he is humble. It, it's, it's beautiful how it is that you see this, this uh, spiritual strength in the Apostle Paul and this gentleness, this love for Christ that is expressed toward his brethren as well. And for all mankind, as, as he, we know that he gave himself to the furtherance of the gospel, to the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the world. Right? And he was even willing to lay down his life for the sake of Christ. I was just having a conversation last night uh, with a gentleman at Home Depot. And um, come to find out, he's, uh, he's a brother in Christ, and so he gave me a little bit of his testimony and and one of the things that was really um, encouraging to me is, is how it was that he was encouraged by the life of the Apostle Paul and how it was expressed in, in the fact that not only was he, was he willing to go to any lengths to make sure that the world heard that Jesus saves, but that he was willing to, like a good soldier, go all the way to Rome knowing that he was going to be martyred for the sake of Christ, willing to do that, lay down his life. You know, and the Apostle Paul is a man who knew Jesus. He knew the hope that he had in Christ. And he knew, knowing what he knew of the Word of God, never came across as someone who has had it all figured out, that just that like I've, I've arrived, that's it. And he said that to the Philippians, how does that, hey, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul asks and urges the Christians in Philippi to live their lives as they have already been instructed to by Paul. And it is the same for those in Thessalonica. Please note that there is nothing here that indicates that there is a problem. Now, you know, the, the church in Corinth, they had many problems, and he addressed, the Apostle Paul addressed those problems, but there's nothing here that implies or indicates that there were any issues with this church in Thessalonica. Therefore, we can conclude that these are simply important for us to know as it was important for the church then and in that place to know. These basics. This is how to please God. It is important to understand that as Christians, we will never reach a point in our knowledge of God's word where we will have arrived at some superior understanding, knowledge, and application of it and to a full or complete maturity, at least not this side of heaven. We, we will not. And that's why sometimes as we hear, oh, I've heard this before. You know, I, and I know because I've done it myself. And in conversations, I, I've heard it from you. That when you're sitting there and we start going through a passage that you're very familiar with. And, and you've heard this before. You know, it's like, ah, yeah, I've heard it before. I understand. Um, and so you tune out. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. For me, and this is me personally. What kind of safeguards me from tuning out is for me personally, I have my journal, I have my pen, and as the pastor, like for instance at the conference we had, what was it, last Saturday? A week ago from Saturday, right? Oh man, I I had tons of notes. And trust me, I've heard it before, right? I've heard it before. But I learned so much. And I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing in the Lord. My fear is that somehow, in some way, I will become complacent and think, I- I've heard this before. I don't, these are the basics, right? We, these are the fundamentals, you know? Eh. May, that's me. My fear is that I will become complacent and then stop growing. And so what we have before us is is the basics. It's not that there was an issue in Thessalonica at this church, but it could become an issue. So take heed. Be warned. Lest you too fall in this very basic thing. Again, I remind you, even the Apostle Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. How to live as a Christian. Number one, learn how to please God. Number two, keep growing in Christ. Paul had instructed the Thessalonians in basic practical ways in which they ought to live their lives to please God. Paul had instructed the Thessalonians in basic practical ways in which they ought to live their lives to please God. And yes, we as Christians need continual instruction, correction, encouragement, and reminders on how to please God Why? Because we are inclined to lead lives that please ourselves and not God. And that's why. We need reminders often. Just think about and take inventory of the decisions you made throughout the week, the month, over the last year. Just take inventory. Sit down. If you were to think about these things, we are inclined to live for ourselves. Just as the Apostle Paul could tell the Philippians, so I can say here that if you've been here for any length of time, you know what instructions you've been given through the Lord Jesus Christ by the word that's been taught here. Acts 20, 26 through 27. It says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. One thing that, and there's nothing wrong with topical messages, but I am concerned that with those topical messages, if that's all that you're hearing are topical messages, because oftentimes topical messages come not from the Lord, but from the culture around us, the things that are happening. And so you hear these topical messages that are constantly addressing the issues of our society. Trust me that the Word of God, if you're given the whole counsel of God, will cover every single issue. Every single one. I, I mean, it'd be tiring, to, to be honest with you, it'd be tiring for me to, to get my messages from the news. You know what I mean? It's like, well, this is going on. Man, I mean, we'd be talking about certain things every week. Every week. Look, we live in a dark and perverse world. It's getting darker. We need to be well equipped with the word of God in order to engage the world with a light from above. We need to learn the whole counsel of God. And so that's why... You know, it, we're, we're, in, uh, 
we're going into 1 Samuel. We're going into 1 Samuel on Wednesday nights. And um, we've gone through, in fact, I was looking at the New Testament and how much we've covered it in the last nine years. And I can tell you that we're pretty close. We're about a year and a half away from completely going through the New Testament. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we've gone through a good portion of the Bible, and we will continue to do so. Stick with us, and you will get the whole counsel of God. Paul spent three years in, uh, in uh, Ephesus with the Ephesians, and he could declare this with utmost confidence to them. We've been here for almost 10 years teaching and preaching through the scriptures, and I can honestly and with humble confidence say that I have not held back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Please, with this in mind, don't ever think that you've arrived regarding the knowledge of God's word and its application to your life. Don't, don't ever do that. Humble yourself before a holy and righteous God. If Paul said, I've not arrived, then who are we to say that we are? And we have. Don't stop growing. Number one, don't stop growing in Christ. Number two, control your body. Verse three says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you Know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Uh, in, in, this is speaking in general. Speaking in general, this is God's will for you. For every Christian, for every believer, for every disciple of Jesus Christ, this is God's will for you. Your sanctification. That's His will. You want to know what His plan is for you? It's this. Your sanctification. Sanctification, again, the, 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 the meaning of that word is to be set apart. The days In the days of Paul, there was the Roman culture's perspective of sex. And then there was God's standard of sex and its application as set forth in the Word of God. If you asked a Roman in that day what he thought of the Christian standards of sex, just like today, if we were to ask the world, and we, actually, we don't have to ask, they'll give it to us anyway, right? Their belief, their perspective, and what it is that they think of the Christian perspective but if you were to ask a Roman in that day what he thought of the Christian standards of sex, he would say that there are, yeah, they're so unnecessarily restricting and binding, hindering. Oh, they, de- they deny your happiness and fulfillment of personal needs. Oh, they restrict, they restrict, they're absurd. They deny pleasure. Doesn't that sound like the same thing today? It's, just, it's the same thing. In verse 7, God's standard states that any sexual behavior outside of marriage is impurity. It's defilement. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't understand why it is that, you know, we can argue about this or try and find, you know, some way of justifying our own actions. I, I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? Any 
sex, any sexually sexual behavior outside of marriage is is sin. Is sin. Do we need any more explanation? I don't. I don't think we do. But I'm going to explain it even <laughs> if we do understand it. Within the context of marriage, sex is undefiled. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Very basically, this is how we please God. Abstain from sexual immorality. And by the way, just know that the law is spiritual. All right? For Abraham, do you know... Do you know when the law came? Was it before or after Abraham? Just before or after. Go ahead. We'll, we'll have some interaction here. After. You know how many years after? One, two, three, four hundred and thirty years after Abraham. Do you know when the covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham? Was it before his faith was accounted to him as righteousness or after? Just something, because I'm trying to work something out here. His faith was accounted to him as righteousness before the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision. Therefore... Faith to us, the father of our faith, was given that promise before the law and before the covenant of circumcision. And circumcision, you know, the physical is meaningless if it is not true spiritually. Because the Lord wants our flesh to be circumcised and for us to be alive in Christ by faith. It is by faith. It's spiritual. That, that's, oftentimes, that's what we don't get. Is that, oh, we're adhering to the law. We're, we're being righteous before the Lord. Well, the law made no one righteous. Not one. There's, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. If the law made us righteous, then there would be righteous because you followed the law. Therefore, there's none righteous. And so it's spiritual. That's what We always need to go back to that when we apply, let's say, for instance, this. Sexual immorality. It's spiritual. Just because you're not doing it. That's why the Lord Jesus, he said, just because you're not doing it doesn't mean that you're not guilty of it. That's why. Because if you're thinking it in your mind, if you're working it out in your mind, you've already lost. Then go to 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from, from all unrighteousness. Go to that quickly. Repent and get to that place where you're, you have these thoughts that are held captive to the Lord and, and uh, they're, they're submitted to him. Take a look at Philippians 4.8. Jot that down. And so here is what we need to remember. As Christians, we are to be set apart from the world's standards if they are contrary to God's standards and set apart to God and His standards regardless of the world, world standards. They're not the ones who determine 
uh, what's right and what's wrong. God does. For God's word is truth. For the Christian, this is a command from our commander, our Lord. Not a suggestion to live a better, quote-unquote, life. We are called to live a separate life from the world. In the world, again, but not of the world. So control, control your own vessel. It's not, you're not controlling your wife or your husband. You're not controlling someone else. The, the Bible, as we read here, it's control your own body. Your own actions. You're the one that can control them. Control them. Be in control. There's a contrast. You are a believer. believer. You ought to be walking in the Spirit. Therefore... In contrast, not like the Gentiles in the passion of their lust, they are controlled and driven. Don't let, your lustful, don't let your lustful urges lead you to act, but rather the Spirit of God who will lead you in all truth. Be led by the Spirit. Live with control of yourselves and not like an animal that simply reacts to its impulses, its carnal instincts. And you know, if, if we believe that somehow... We just came up out of the mud, and so here we are. And these primal instincts are the ones that really we should be functioning in. Then we've been reduced to something less than what God has created us. No, we have, we have will. We have uh, choice. We have control. We have these minds that think. Why are we to control ourselves? Number one, as we see here, because we sin against our brother when we practice sexual immorality. Robbing a woman of her virginity robs her future husband of what rightly belongs to him, and we rob her of what should be guarded, her purity, simply said. Number two, because God is just and will judge the sexually immoral. Even if a person never deals with the consequences of sexual immorality while in the body, one day he will have to answer for what he did as he comes before God, for God is just. Number three, because God has called us to live holy lives, devoted and set apart for his good pleasure. Again, and we need to be reminded, not our own good pleasure. It should please us to please him. Really should. Number four, because it is God's standards, standard, not man. So when you disregard this truth, this command, it is not man that you're disregarding. You know, when, uh, for instance, when, when someone brings to your attention um, what you're doing right now is sin, and you disregard it, trust me, you're not disregarding that person. You're disregarding God. That person has only stepped in there and reminded you of the truth of God's word. That's it. So when you reject that word, you're not rejecting that person. You're rejecting God, and we need to know that. So how to please God? Number one, don't stop growing in Christ. Number two, control your body. And number three, we need to learn how to lead a quiet life. Verse nine. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So don't stop growing in Christ. Control your body and lead a quiet life. 
And this is how you lead a quiet life. Number one, love the brethren. Number two, mind your own business. And number three, work. If you get nothing out of this this morning, if you just love the brethren, mind your own business, and work, we're good. Let's see what this means. Number one, love the brethren. Now, the Apostle Paul told the church in Thessalonica, you know, you don't really need to be reminded of this, but I'll say it anyway, you know, because you need to do this more and more. Love the brethren. Galatians 6.20 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially, I'm sorry, Galatians 6.10. There's no 6.20. I was reminded of that earlier, and now I say So before you write down Galatians 6.20, it's Galatians 6.10. Sorry. So then, as we have opportunity, every time we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, the Apostle John writes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We ought to learn how to love in this manner. How it is that, you know, if we say we love the Lord and, and yet hate our brother, basically it comes down to this. We're liars. We're liars. And the truth is not in us. Do you know of anyone, and I'm sure if you guys were to raise your hand, if I were to ask for a raising of your hand, you, you probably, the majority of you would raise your hand. Do you know, if, let me put it to you, that, do you know of any Christian who has held bitterness and resentment in their heart toward another Christian? And, and you could honestly say that by their expression and the way they've responded, to this other person, that they hate them? Would you say that? I can. That's so sad. How how can we, after having been loved by the Lord, having been forgiven for all, how can we turn around and require of someone else something that God doesn't require of us? It's kind of like that, that guy that, whose, uh, whose debt was completely forgiven. And he had much debt. And he turns around and requires from someone else a small debt. What a hypocrite, right? No, we need to learn how to love 
like this. I mean, I, that, that's why I went through these verses. You know, Galatians 6.10, John 13.34 and 35, and 1 John 2.7-11. So that, that way we know what kind of love we're being faced with. This is God's standard. It's placed on the table. Here you go, son, daughter. You ought to abide by this very love toward one another. If you say you love me, you will do this. That's why we need to know God's standard, not the world's standards. Oh, I'll, I'll forgive, but I will never forget. Right? God says, oh, no, you know, as, as far as the east is from the west. So, you know, he, he puts our sin away from, from us. He, he forgives and he, he forgets. Can you imagine? I mean, him with perfect, perfect memory. If he left the handle sticking up. Bury the hatchet, you know the song. Bury the hatchet, leave the handle sticking up. It's an old country song. Anyway, <laughs> if he were to do that, oh man, the hatchet would be coming up all the time. Oh, remember, son? Yeah, I remember that. Oh, you remember this? Yeah, I remember that. And he'd hold that over you all the time, but he doesn't do that. How is it that we do that with other people around us? We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Especially if you're a husband and wife, please don't do that. Once you've gone through something, it'll eat your marriage up. It'll destroy it from the inside. Oh, yeah, but you remember you did this? It's like, no, I don't remember, but I'm glad you reminded me, right? I thought I was losing my memory. We ought to love one another in this fashion by just, you know, it's dealt with. Peter was bragging. He says, well, how many times should we forgive? You know, how many times? Seven times? You know, that's a lot, isn't it? And the Lord says, no, seven times 70. In other words, just like keep forgiving. Yeah, but he keeps doing it. Yeah, I keep forgiving him. Maybe you are doing this. But let me remind you, you haven't arrived. And you're urged to do it more and more. Check yourself and ask God to reveal to you how it is that you can show your love to others in a manner that reflects his love. Number two, mind your own business. You know, that's not something that the world made up. It's actually something that comes from God's word. Mind your own business. Live quietly and mind your own affairs. Living quietly means life is in contrast to leading a loud life. Do you lead a life of entertainment? Constant excitement. Are you an adrenaline junkie? It sounds like a commercial. Do you find yourself bored? If you're not being entertained in some way through the phone, social media, other people's affairs, sports, TV shows, right? But wait, there's more. There's always more that can be offered. As Christians, our ambition, what we should aspire to in life is to lead a quiet life that is satisfied and content with spending time with... God, that's it. That's my contentment. That's my aspiration to lead a quiet life with the Lord. Giving attention to listening to God and getting to know him. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not could be, not maybe. It, it, it is. It is great gain. It's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
If this is what you aspire to do, then you will be better able to, secondly, mind your own business. Living with a focus on your own life instead of the lives of others. The reason why people are so interested in other people's lives is because they aren't satisfied or content or happy with their own lives. I'm not happy with mine, and so therefore I'm going to live through others, and I'm going to aspire to the lives of others. And, wow, where are they now? They take pictures everywhere. They were in France two months ago. What do they do for a living? Now they're in Rome, and then they tell me that they're going to Cancun, and then they're going... You know, and it's like, don't worry about them. <laughs> That's all social media, right? Just, if you live your life there, then, then it, it, you're always going to be envious. <laughs> you need to be satisfied, satisfied and content and happy with the life that the Lord has given you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We're not talking about having a genuine interest and concern for others. That's not what we're talking about but rather being busybodies, gossips, and meddlers in other people's lives. God tells us to live at peace, and we can't do that if we are constantly in other people's business. Help others, but live a quiet life at home, and be satisfied with the life that God has given you. What is it? Are you content with it? Number three, work. In other words, here, here it goes. Don't be idle. So that's what work means. Don't be idle. Don't be idle. God says work is good, but laziness and idleness is not good and will lead to being busybodies. Gossips, 1 Timothy 5.13. No work, no food, according to 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So, so if you want, you want food, go work. Go work. I, I, love, I love to see these people who will... In fact, yesterday, again, a Home Depot story. Um... I, I, was, I was renting a wood chipper. And this guy comes up and he says, oh, you know that oxidation on your, on your truck? And I'm like, ah, thanks for reminding me of the oxidation on my truck. And I said, yeah, I can see it very well. And he says, I can take it all off. And like, he said seven minutes. I'm like, wow, seven minutes. I think his rag was full of WD-40. And you know, you just put it on and everything disappears. And then you wash the truck again and it's all back. But you know what I loved about it is the fact that he was willing to do work. He was out there. He wasn't asking for a handout. He was willing to work for just whatever it was that I I was willing to give him. These guys that are selling flowers on the side of the road, at least they're working. At least they're working. That's what I love about that. You know, um, and talking to someone else, you know, how it is that instead of talking about it, you know, I just go out... I find a job here, find, find a job there. I love that because God says for those that work that it's good. He says, work, you're not idle, you're working, right? Laziness brings poverty, Proverbs twenty thirteen, And idleness is foolish according to Ecclesiastes 4, 5. God says that work is good and, here's the thing, it pleases him. It's honoring to him. It pleases God when his people give themselves to work. In the home, uh, you know, in, in, in our home, my wife is able to stay at home. But let me tell you, she is not idle. She is constantly working. She is constantly doing something. So no matter where we're at, the Lord tells us, 
to get to work. Get to work. You know, having a remote in front of the TV and spending time in front of the TV for hours on end is not good. You know, go work in the garden. You know, tend to the house if, you, if you're at home. Um, get involved in church. Uh, call each other and pray. That's not busybody. That's not gossip. That is actual ministry. Serve one another. You know, be at work. Always be at work. And the Lord says here that we ought to be independent in these matters and be an example to those who are watching. What do they see in your life? This is how to lead a quiet life in Christ. So number one, just in review, don't stop growing in Christ. Number two, control your body. And number three, lead a quiet life. So in closing, really. (laughs) Does your living demonstrate a life that is satisfied in Christ? Does it demonstrate a life that is set apart from the world and quiet? Set apart for God and increasing in the understanding of the things that are pleasing to God. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, quote, If we displease God, does it matter whom we please? If we please him, does it matter whom we displease? Close quote. You and I both know that we are more inclined to seek to please ourselves than to please God. And that's why we need these basic reminders. This is how we can please the Lord. And so this is what it comes down to. Choice. It comes down to our choosing. It's for this reason that we need to know just how much God demonstrated his love toward us. How much God loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. Sacrificial love. He demonstrated it on the cross. He loves us today. He's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. When we come to know that love, then we are more inclined when we are faced with the choice to make whether we will live for ourselves or live to God. We choose to live lives that are pleasing to him every time. How? Don't stop growing in Christ. Control your body and lead a quiet life. Father, we thank you that in Christ, Lord, we are... We are full with the fullness of eternal life. We are sealed by your spirit and kept until that day when we are in all of your glory. Lord, remind us often of how much you love us. Lord, help us to choose the right thing and to bless and honor you with our lives. Lord, to think of others more than ourselves. Lord, to abstain from anything that is defiling to ourselves and dishonoring to you and to live lives that are always serving you, lives that are content in you and are always looking to have fellowship with you, being reminded of of your nearness, your presence, Father, that we would walk according to the Spirit And by doing so, we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So may we live lives honoring to you. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, may they know that you love them that much, Lord, that they can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That today could be the day of salvation, Lord, as it was for me years ago. Lord, how it was that just a life of surrender to you and belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who lived and died and was resurrected three days later. 
is the very one who offers this free gift of life by grace through faith in him. So, Lord, may this be the day of salvation and a day perhaps of reckoning the old man dead and being alive in Christ, having a new heart and new desires for you to please and honor you. So thank you for speaking to the church. Thank you, Lord, that we can draw from you that which is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.